Today's reading is from the Song of Songs, chapter 4, reading from verse 7 to verse 15. These are the words of a young man who is in love. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Amana, from the peaks of Senir and Hermon, where the lions have their dens and leopards live among the hills. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with nard, nard and saffron, fragrant calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, and every other lovely spice. You are a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, thank you for the privilege of um, speaking to you this morning. Um, When we get to the end of 2023, one of the things we might remember it for um, is uh, having looked at some of the less familiar parts of the Bible. Um, We've been looking at Hebrews, which is probably one of the lesser known uh, books of the letters of the New Testament, good old Melchizedek. Um, and we've grappled with some quite difficult theology there. And, of course, we've spent a long time looking at all the minor prophets. And uh, we've discovered that, tucked away in some unassuming places in the Bible, there are some big themes. Well, here's another book that uh, doesn't get too much coverage, The Song of Songs. Here it is. At the, uh, at the middle of the Bible. Actually, um, I, it's probably not quite accurate to say that it's at the geometric center of the Bible. It's quite difficult to say what that is because it's written in different languages and there have been so many different translations. But let me just say, here it is at the heart of our scriptures. Hearts are more sort of fluid, forgiving word, and it it, um, sort of fits my theme better. It's something of a neglected book. It's um, often in older versions called the Song of Solomon, and it does indeed reference Solomon a couple of times, but most modern scholars think it couldn't possibly have been written by Solomon, at least not in anything like its present form. The language is all wrong. The language, the form of Hebrew it's written in, is about 600 years too late for Solomon. So if you look at what the theologians say about it, they're all over the shop as to when it was written or who wrote it. So let's just park that for the moment and just call it the Song of Songs. 
Um, that's actually a bit of a strange title, The Song of Songs. It's, it's a sort of superlative. It's, it's a Hebrew expression, a way of saying something most excellent. It's the Song of Songs, just as we might say, oh, it was the chocolate cake of chocolate cakes, or the cup final of cup finals. It is that sort of um, superlative. And it's, it's a Middle Eastern love poem uh, or wedding song. And as such, its style is associated with passionate and sensual poetry. Um, if you do decide to, to read through it, it doesn't take long, or reread it if you're already familiar with it, um, I do recommend choosing one of the more modern translations if only for the subheadings. Without subheadings, it's really quite difficult to say who's speaking to whom or about what and what's going on. But essentially, it has three voices. A lover, a beloved, and the friends of the beloved, and then there's a wedding procession. And it starts uh, with the beloved speaking about her lover. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday to her friends, um, who reply, Oh, if you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep. Then the lover and beloved speak of the beauty of each other. Your cheeks are, are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. It goes on like that. It, this is, the Song of Songs isn't just a sort of boy-meets-girl pop song or some mawkish verse in a Valentine card. It's desperate stuff. I mean, they, they, they're longing and yearning for each other. They're constantly on each other's minds. They're seeking each other out. All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I will get out now and go about the city. Through its streets and squares, I will search for the one my heart loves. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. I mean, our romantic poetry, or at least the stuff we looked at at school, um, often seemed quite sort of prim and seemly and, and coy, something suitable for the Victorians. But... This is Middle Eastern. It, it's intense, it's passionate. Uh, at, at school you may have looked at the Rabbiat of Omar Khayyam, you know, a jug of wine, a loaf of bread, and thou. It's, it's unrestrained, it's sensuous. Um, in fact, I had to choose the passage rather carefully. Um, it, it can get even more explicit, and I wanted to spare everyone's blushes. Um, why is it there? It, it is a strange book to be in the Bible. Uh, it doesn't very obviously say much about God or law or wisdom or prophecy or history, the things we expect to see in a book in the Bible. It was, it was actually quite controversial as to whether it stayed in the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, or whether it was kind of kicked out into the long grass and, you know, just sort of put out to pasture in the additional writings, uh, the, in addition to the core scriptures, 
uh, for the Jews. There are also uh, a range of other writings which are sort of considered quite illuminating and, and worth reading, but, but not really um, holy enough for the, for the scriptures. And um, a lot of uh, rabbinical scholars wanted to kick out the Song of Songs and say, you know, it just isn't holy enough to be in the, in the core scriptures, and we probably have never heard of it. Um, it could, of course, just be a straightforward love story. But most um, scholars, most, not all, but most, um, consider it to be some sort of allegory. It is a love story, it is a wedding song, but it's more than that. Um, in its original form, it was saying how much God loved Israel. It was an allegory of that. And for us, for we Christians, of course, it speaks to us of the way that Christ loves his church. Often in the New Testament, we get allusions about the church being the bride of Christ. So it needed some champions to keep it in the Jewish scriptures. It was at risk of being lost and we'd never have heard of it. One of the most famous defenders of the Song of Songs was a, a rabbi called Akiva. And he lived towards the end of the first century, towards the beginning of the second century AD, so more recently than you might imagine. And he very famously defended uh, the Song of Songs as something worthy of being in the canon of Scripture. He made one uh, much-quoted quote about it, which is very interesting. Rabbi Akiva claimed, All of eternity in its entirety is not as worthy of the day, uh, as not as worthy as the day on which Song of Songs was given to Israel. For all the writings are holy, but Song of Songs is the holy of holies. I mean, that, I find that an interesting choice. Here is a rabbi, you know, a very, very strict traditional rabbi. And he'll know the law by heart. He probably knows a lot else by heart. The law is utterly precious to him. He's got to defend that. He knows all the, the books of Moses. He's got the great magisterial prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel. He's got all the Psalms. And he chooses this innocuous little book tucked away to be not just worthy of keeping, but he calls it the Holy of Holies. What an interesting choice. And how wonderful that that view eventually prevailed. I find that obviously a lot of the Bible speaks of God's love. But often we think of divine love as being something a bit rarefied and ethereal. We've got a rather reserved North European culture. And so our thought of Christian love tends to be a bit sanitized and restrained, a bit passionless and platonic. But the Song of Songs shows God's love, Christ's love, to be something that's intense, impassioned, longing, besotted. The lovers desperately yearning to be with each other actively seeking each other out with all their spirit and soul. A God who will seek out one last sheep and rejoice at its return. A jealous God, jealous in a good way, not jealous of, but jealous for. Jealous as, as you might be for the people you love most. 
I think it's probably the only book that really says it like this. And we need to be reminded that God's love, Christ's love, is actually like that. I mean, you might think the words are rather overblown when you read the book. I mean, is, is she really that beautiful, unblemished, virtuous, gracious, devoted? Is he really that handsome, chivalrous, honourable, selfless, gallant? Oh, come on. No, of course not. But they're besotted. They're, they're oblivious to each other's faults. They, they just see each other as dropped gorgeous. That's all they can see. And we need to be reminded that actually that's how Christ sees us. I like to think that once Jesus has, once we've turned to Jesus and he's blotted out the ugliness of our sins, then all God can see is the beauty that remains. And so God just has that besotted love for us that sees past our faults. And really, I think that's what the Song of Songs is about. Now, however, permit me a little digression which I'll try to keep short. It's great that we gather on a Sunday morning as a fellowship and we hear about the greatness of God's love, how prayer is answered, how miracles happen. And it's, it's great that we gather and encourage each other with those messages. But to be honest, what we hear on a Sunday morning doesn't always match with what we feel on a Thursday afternoon. And we can go away and doubt set in and things happen and we think, does God really love me that much? Does prayer really work? You know, God, I've been praying for my friend to get better and, and they've got worse. I've been praying for peace in Ukraine and a war's broken out in the Middle East. And COVID, what was that about? It's difficult. I find it difficult. I could attempt uh, an answer. I could attempt to say, oh, well, you know, God does love us that much, but it might not always seen it. But, however, don't worry. But that answer would be terribly glib and pat. And I was thinking about, you know, what, what really, what, what is it that's a heart, at the heart of it? And I think sometimes we find it difficult, really, to come to terms with, with God's love and prayer and so on, because we find it difficult to get God. I think that's probably at the heart of it. It's not surprising. We're human. God is other. In our humanity, we want God to be a, a Marvel comic superhero. Um, it's perfectly reasonable for us to want God to be a Mr. Fix-It. It's much more difficult for us to get what God's really about and what God is and isn't. It's difficult for us to first and foremost see God as spirit, our refuge, our consolation, our truth, our hope, our still point in a turning world. Of course, miracle happens throughout the Bible, and especially when Jesus on the, is on the earth. I mean, the kingdom is breaking out all around him. But when we actually look at the Bible, at the great sweep of 2,000 years from the... Um, from the patriarchs to the apostles, and we look at all the different people and places, actual 
really sort of standout science-defying miracles aren't that common. They aren't the norm. They happen. But God's norm is to be with us, to be our refuge, to be our still point, um, to be our consolation and our truth. And it is difficult for us to get that. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's often different from what we want it to be in in our humanity. And so it is difficult for us to get the idea that despite all the bad stuff, God really does love us with that intensity. That despite all the bad stuff and disappointments in our lives, God is besotted with us and, and seeks us with a passion. If you do sometimes struggle with this, and I do, I think, I think we all do, then we're in good company. One of the things that most strikes me in the Bible is the book of Job. It's actually the oldest book in the Bible, despite where it sits. It isn't apparently the, it isn't obviously in the place of the oldest book, but it is the oldest book. And of course, it asks that question right at the outset. Okay, God, so if you are so loving and so just, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do seriously bad things happen to seriously good people? And after a long, long time wrestling with that, suddenly, around chapter 40 or so, Job suddenly gets God. And from that point on, his fortunes start to be restored. But, you know, if you do struggle in that way with God, you're in good company. It is literally the oldest question in the Bible. And if you are struggling with, with prayer, with appreciating God's love with anything in your lives at the moment, do please bear in mind that there is prayer at the front of the church at the end of the service for anyone who wants to seek that. Don't worry about doubt. It is, I think, doubt and questions are essential steps on the route from puppy love to true love and indeed to true faith. What can we do to help us with that? Again, I don't want to give a glib one-line answer, but I think it's probably something to do with trying to walk more closely with God on a a day-to-day basis and perhaps making that walk in each other's company, encouraging each other. Um, And as we walk hopefully more closely with God, then maybe in our encounters with God, we'll get God that much more and really get the way that God does love us. Um, Again, I have no inkling of what hymns the minister was going to choose, but he's chosen his closing hymn, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God. Fantastic. So why that little digression? Well, firstly, it was because I wanted to be honest and say that although I wanted to talk about the passion and intensity and besottedness of God's love, it doesn't always seem like that, and I simply wanted to be honest about it. But also, and here I really come back to um, where I left off, I think Rabbi Akiva, the man that did so much to rescue this little uh, gem of a book for us, I think he got God. I'm sort of speculating there's quite a lot about Akiva in terms of his deeds and teachings, uh, even the manner of his death, but not much about his personality. But I think he got God. Because he was a rabbinical scholar, 
He was living at the end of the first century, beginning of the second century AD. He didn't have a a rose-tinted, naive, sentimental view of God's love. He knew all about the slavery in Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, the succession of bad kings, humiliating defeats in battle, civil war and the division into northern and southern kingdoms, defeat of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians, defeat and captivity of the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. He knew about the cruelty of the Seleucid Empire. He knew about the repression of the Roman Empire. He knew about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. That was recent history to him. And yet, despite all Israel's sufferings, he didn't want God just to, he didn't expect God to just swoop in and fix Israel's latest problem. He still had an unshakable belief in God's power, authority, and love. He helped to assure that this lovely little book was passed down to us. Not only did he consider it important enough to be in the Torah, he also saw it as the holy of holies. I think he got God. Rabbi Akiva wasn't to know it, but for we Christians with our New Testament, this exquisite little book would be right there at the heart of our Bible. Rabbi Akiva wasn't to know it, but this little book wouldn't just talk of God's love for Israel, but of Christ's reckless, extravagant love for his church, for us. That's a big theme for a little book. So, to conclude, we've looked at some lesser visited parts of the Bible this year. Perhaps there have been a few surprises and maybe James has got some more in store, I don't know. The Bible keeps surprising us. What do you make of it all? If I can ask, what do you make of the Bible, this, this challenging, strange bestseller? It's divisive. It can be controversial. Things in the Bible can even divide Christians. I hope when we do disagree about how things are to be interpreted, then we can do so in a spirit of love and respect. But we do disagree. And when we go out beyond the church, out into the world, people will have all sorts of opinions about the Bible. It really is a controversial book. Some people will tell you that the Bible is the eternal, abiding word of God, trustworthy and true. Others will say it's a collection of myths and fairy tales. Some people will say that the Bible is a book of reconciliation through which nation will speak peace unto nation. Others will say it's caused wars and persecutions. Some people will say that the Bible is a book of justice, liberation and equality. Others will say it's a book of patriarchal control. Whatever we make of the Bible, whatever anyone might say to you or me about the Bible, let's bear in mind one inescapable fact, one indisputable truth. But here, at the heart of God's word, the very epicenter of God's message to us lies a heartwarming, tear-jerking, breathtaking, 
jaw-dropping, spellbinding, cliff-hanging, spine-tingling, page-turning, good old-fashioned love story. Amen. So now um, we move on to our final hymn. And there's just a line in this hymn, it's a lovely hymn to, to conclude with. There's a line which talks about a line, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. And I think as we have a closer walk with God, we each other will be each other's lights helping us along that road and maybe getting God and getting God's love more fully. So, Marjorie, oh, oh for a closer walk with God. <laughs>